0: Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Kevin Cole of Unexpected Points. You can find his work at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Kevin does a lot of great work on the real-life NFL, including some really interesting takes on the NFL Draft, the way teams should be playing this, Um, things like why steals are kind of an overrated concept in the NFL Draft. But he also does really good work on the rookie prospects, And we go through in this episode some of his real-life takes, but also some fantasy takes around two articles that he recently put out on the running back position and the wide receiver position. He posted his wide receiver and running back model scores, and we kind of dive into some of the interesting fantasy names in this episode. But the reason that I'm doing an intro when I normally don't do an intro for this podcast is that I want everyone to be aware, and if you already know this, you can skip ahead about a minute, but I am partnering with Underdog this year, and as part of that, Legendary upside subscribers can get a $50 credit on their underdog account Um, You need to fill out a form After subscribing to legendary upside so that I have your username and I can send it to underdog But that's all that you need to do um, other than signing up for legendary upside I'm giving priority to yearly subscribers uh, because there are a limited amount of these credits, but you can get your first year for just $69 at legendaryupside.com slash early. So like I said, there are a limited amount of the credits, but if you head over there in a reasonable fashion, there's still plenty left. Uh, you'll be able to secure that, uh, but do fill out the form as soon as you sign up. If you have not yet signed up for underdog, you can do so with promo code LEGUP. Uh, underdog will match your first deposit up to $100. That's a 100% deposit match on your first deposit up to $100. Um, so if you haven't signed up for underdogs, pretty good deal, get that deposit match, get the $50 credit, but let's go ahead and get to the interview with Kevin. With me today, Kevin Cole from unexpected points. Kevin, how's it going? It's going well. Um, you know what I was thinking? I've been listening to the,
1: the, you know, first, um, first time guest, long time listener, uh, long time, <laughs> meaning like two weeks. Uh, so I was listening <laughs> to the legendary, of course it's been around for like two months, yeah. so, you know, you <laughs> that counts. It's, it's not that bad. So I was listening to legendary upside podcast. And you know what has legendary upside? Uh, the number of minutes for every podcast that you have, because <laughs> these things are clocking in at like two and a half hours here. Um, you need a legendary <laughs> editor to get in here and start talking to you buddy.
0: I, I do, yeah. The mailbag pods especially go go long. We had, we had originally... Uh, plan to do this later in the afternoon and it's bumped up so i feel like you know we've got i know videos. i was, I was, thinking, I was like
1: this is a mistake i don't have an out now it was we were, we were at hour two and a half here going through each one of these prospects so i know for anyway, a fact let's do it. it i'm ready for a long pod I, I, i'm strapped in i got my coffee here just in case you know all bathroom right through break i got a, a water bottle underneath the table just in case i need something
0: Good, because I don't, I don't have like a, a long agenda, but I did uh, want to talk about both real football and fantasy football. So I don't I don't anticipate this being like an overly short podcast. But yeah, let's uh, <laughs> we I was on your podcast last week and we dove into some bold predictions. Nailed I them. had an extremely convoluted one involving Jonathan Mingo that actually hit. Um, and we uh, talked a little bit about kind of the real life stuff. And I actually wanted to get your takes now that we that we've um, you know seen the draft play out. A little bit on kind of the real life takeaways of what went down and kind of start there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah, we had our bold predictions. I tried to go extra bold and have like a whole narrative arc and weave into it. Maybe that was a little bit, a little bit <laughs> yeah. of a mistake. Um, I, I, I don't even remember, but I think I was pretty much over on the, on the predictions. <laughs> One that was close, though. And I'm going to get I have to give myself credit for like thematically maybe being close or positional or like directionally is that um, I said no receiver would go before the 21st pick. And then I also said as a secondary thing, Zay Flowers would be that 21st pick. So I was wrong. Flowers in the top group, but we almost got to the 21st pick. So at least I was slightly right about the fact that the wide receivers might have fallen a bit or at least JSM was really the thing that he might he might go a little bit later than some people expected.
0: Yeah, that was a good one. Um, and we'll get to the JSN because I think the fact that he fell a bit has changed things for some people and and created more of a conversation about, you know, which wide receiver should be taken to fantasy first. Um, but yeah, so I listened to your podcast uh, after the draft where you were talking about, you know, the the reaches and the steals and kind of figuring out a way to grade these teams a little bit better um and you know why don't we just wait five years and then and then we can then we'll know you know why why are we doing any well, what if they traditions? break
1: out like geno smith uh
0: in their ninth season yeah. maybe,
1: to, maybe that was still a great the jets nailed it <laughs> you know
0: yeah. yeah um but i kind of would just want to get your your kind of the summary if in case in case anyone is not familiar of like you're talking about steals basically don't matter in the draft and that you know this is coming from a fantasy landscape like the the people listening to this are probably used to value hounding in their drafts. We, we think that getting steals in, in ADP is actually huge and there's, there's data to back that up. But in fantasy, you're getting a steal relative to a market, which has been established over the course of many, many, many drafts. And I think it's kind of interesting to hear your thought on, on the NFL draft, which is just, we have a sample of one and it's a sample in which the NFL is actually telling us new information.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, That's an interesting contrast to say like ADP and steel. So I'm much more a believer that I guess when it comes to fantasy drafts, you have a wider range of knowledge and preparation and work that's gone into this. I mean, these NFL teams, and maybe this is also like part of the running backs replaceability discussion. It's not that, like these running backs are bad or that these NFL front offices don't know what they're doing. It's just, they all put a ton of work into this. Um, so that's one factor. So to say that you have gotten a player 20 picks, let's say after where he was assumed to have gone at a premium position, a position that other teams needed a position that you know, out of those 20 picks, five or six of them were at that exact position Well, now you start to go into the fact that not only was one team wrong, but two, three, four, five, six teams all had poor evaluations. And it's nothing that wasn't known on the outside. It's nothing extraordinary because his consensus big board rating was higher. Like we all think about this. It's not a genius move to have gotten a steal on this because it kind of just lines up with consensus. So I think that's why like logically it doesn't really work out. And then Timo Riske at PFF and others have done – work to try to figure out empirically has have steals worked and no they they basically perform right aligned with what their draft position is not with what their consensus big board ranking was
0: right and when a bunch of people are passing on a particular prospect it could be because of medical red flags or uh you know character eval stuff that came back uh not great or for whatever reason, it's like information that we don't know about. Uh, if if like, you know, Jerry Judy falls two rounds in your draft, it's not because everyone else in the draft knows you know something about his medical eval. Like we're all working with the same information, so it's kind of interesting. Like from the outside, we've we've basically made guesses about how the NFL evaluate has evaluated these guys, but those guesses often basically prove to be wrong, um, and that's probably driving a lot of what looks like steals, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that stuff you talked about, the non-public stuff, I mean, there's a lot of non-public stuff, but the stuff that would really contrast with a high grade based upon public information, so let's say film and stats maybe that would go into it, I think most of it has a very long kind of tail to the downside for how far players can get moved down and very little upside i mean medicals clearly it's only a downside right you're checking the box good medicals and if you have poor medicals you go way way down there's no like upside for medicals. so we're talking about players being and this we are talking about steel versus reaching for a particular player there's less likely to be a reason for an nfl team to reach for a player and nfl teams are those reaches generally underperform their draft position there so there is something to that like there's less of a reason to do that character concerns things like that I mean I guess someone's you know football lovingness could you know really be off the
0: charts (laughs) teams love team captains I've heard uh the Ravens have liked team captains in the past and uh I know the Broncos talked up Marvin Mims being a team captain so that's a little I don't know it might get you a star on the board or something I don't think it gets you moved up around or anything but there's it's a little upset. It might move up a
1: little, but again, it's something that we kind of know. So it would have to be something that interview, there's the twinkle in your eye when you're talking about football and your relationship with football that really, that could move you up maybe a little bit, but not that much. Like it's not going to move you up that much. It's, it's kind of a default that yeah. if you are 250 pounds, you strap on a bunch of pads and you slam your head into other individuals for a living you probably like it a little bit, right? It's probably not something that you're adverse to. It's probably not like lunch pail or something. You're going to the factory every day. Like you probably enjoy this sort of things. But if you find out that someone, maybe you question that even today, I saw this thing about, uh, is it, is it, uh, Dewan Jones or someone about how maybe he likes basketball better than this tackle that the Browns mm-hmm. got very late. He likes that. That was a red flag. So things can move you down quite a bit. So, again, so it can explain some of that. Some of it might be over overly projected. But um, there was actually an interesting quote. I don't know if you saw this thing from Brad Holmes where he's taking some heat. You know, he's upset. He's upset at the nerds. The nerds are coming at him about uh, Jameer Gibbs and then Jack Campbell probably also in the first round. And he tried to play off as if there's like this non-public information to move guys up. And this, I forget he said cognitive strain, which I don't even know what that means. But he was throwing out some good terminology that I may have to to steal. But that doesn't quite make sense to me either. Like, what possibly could they know about Jameer Gibbs that says this guy should be drafted in the first half of the round that we don't know on the outside? Um, So I'm not buying that case, although I do believe the non-public information thing on the downside.
0: Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I mean, honestly it would have to be that he's like been converting to wide receiver see- in secret. <laughs> I mean, Why don't, like don't they the just get thing?
1: the wide receivers to convert? Like that's been a little more successful track record. I think the yeah. wide receivers like being good at running the ball, the other way around. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, I wanted to get your thoughts on like what an efficient draft would actually look like. Cause the lions were kind of like, I mean, your breakdown of the lions was hilarious because they trade down, they get all this value, and then they uh, like immediately set it all on fire, and by drafting Gibbs and this coverage linebacker, uh, way above both were reaches. The coverage linebacker even a bigger re- reach than Gibbs. And then they recoup some of it though by drafting Hendon Hooker uh, in the third round. And you're comparing all this to um, in, in salary terms based on sur- the surplus value. Um, and so that was all like really interesting, but I, it got me thinking like what would the correct thing to do be? Because sometimes with the way I analyze these prospects, I feel like what I'm doing works best if the NFL wants nothing to do with it. Like if the NFL is not factoring in certain production metrics and guys doing stuff early in their career and like the fact that they came out a year early and like, you know, all these things that have looked to have signal, if the NFL basically thinks that's all crap and is doing stuff, entirely based off of film evaluations and everything else then i have the potential to take this thing that has historical significance and add it but if they're doing it too then and i, I worried about this with bateman i was like with uh, rashad bateman when the ravens selected him i was like they they're kind of actually kind of a sharp organization maybe we're just maybe i'm just double counting when i'm like and he did this and it's like yeah that's why the ravens drafted him. they wouldn't have drafted him without that so with, with your analysis where it's like look, looking at you know Um, We should be drafting, you know, this position here, this position here. Is it, you know, like what if teams actually started doing this? What if they were like their evaluations of these players weren't just based on who they think the best players are, but they're drafting a player because they play edge or because they play tackle much higher than they otherwise would. That's going to start messing up all of the numbers, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to start messing it up. And I do think that is a consideration even... I'm thinking about a little bit now because when I aggregated all of the different positional value gains or losses for all the teams this year, it was net positive. So Mm. Mm. that means that I'm like rating, I'm looking at historical curves here essentially for positional value. And I'm saying historically at this draft position, what surplus value could you expect? And again, surplus value is going to be based upon An estimate of how much the player is worth part of that most of that almost all of that is based upon what these positions are paid on their second contracts with some adjustment for the fact that like running backs on their second contracts they probably are more productive on their first contracts than they're getting paid for on their second contracts because it's is a built-in expectation they're going to decline more precipitously than other positions and things like that so yeah, it's based upon historical information of what's the surplus value at this pick minus the average surplus value at this pick. So there's there's something going wrong there, at least in this particular draft, that they were taking more of the high value positions earlier than they would have in the past. So then you have to start to look and say, these are adjustments that will have to be made going forward. Is like now if I'm saying they're taking an edge at – 35 in the draft the beginning of the second round um, if I would have said in the past that equals this type of surplus value because of what we've seen in the past with edge players who are taken around uh, 35 well if everyone shifted edge up the board, all of a sudden you're getting less player value for the same contract cost. So you're getting less surplus value. So it is like a relative. Because you're probably
0: getting a worse player. The, the, yes, because you're strength probably getting a worse has, player yeah.
1: because guys have been pushed up. Now, every year, like edge number six isn't equal to edge number six other years. So there are other considerations you'd have to put into play. You can have deeper classes or not. But, you know, I tend to, think that you know probably going with baseline base rates for a lot of these things is better than like overthinking it but that's part of it And even when it comes to running back a lot of people the the common question you'll get is okay if you wouldn't take Bijan robinson in the first round like where is a good place to take a running back and the thing is according to my like calculation based upon the model that i have where if it doesn't make any adjustments it would just tell you You should never take a running back anywhere because if you take B. John Robinson in the third round, then I'm projecting him as a third round type of running back, which is then a different type of guy. But if I said, oh, this is B. John Robinson, this is a $13, $14 million a year type of running back in the third round versus that contract, then it starts to look good. So you really just have to be very flexible with how you're looking at all these things. But I think the key is, like at least have a non-opaque, non-intuitive sort of way of being able to quantify this, because then you could at least make adjustments. That's the thing that kind of annoys me with complaints about different analytical things. And it goes back to this whole philosophy of like all models are wrong, but some are useful. Like it has use. We, we know it's wrong. Nothing is perfect. Nothing has a perfect calculation. So how can we make it a little bit better? At least you can see what we're doing and maybe figure out ways to make it better as opposed to you got to take Bijan because he's a top five talent. Like that means absolutely nothing. I can't argue against it. I have no means of adjusting that. It's just going to be that's the that's the case, and you're left stuck without being able to really even have a retort.
0: I do like the idea that as soon as Bijan falls to the third round, your model goes, <laughs> "You can't take him. He's yeah. is a third round running back. He might stink." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just weird. And I, I, maybe this is also another adjustment you do to the model. Is like
1: they're hammering teams for even taking running backs somewhat in the fourth round and I think again it's like a median outcome versus mean outcome maybe sort of thing like they probably look better on a median outcome sort of basis but in that fourth round for the other positions every now and again you know a cornerback an edge rusher not a tackle as much but um a defensive interior player uh one of those guys are hitting huge in the fourth round and they're getting a huge second contract just doesn't happen at running back that often. So it's going to tell you on an average basis, just don't even draft a running back in the fourth round because you're kind of forfeiting the opportunity to hit huge on one of these picks, even yeah. if it is a low probability event.
0: So I think it's kind of easy, right? Maybe not easy, but it's like, if you were inserted as the GM of one of these teams, I feel like the, the strategy would be a bit easier than if you were in there with, Thirty-one other Kevin's, and I'm I'm actually like more interested in what does the draft look like if it's thirty-two Kevin's, like what what is <laughs> you know all I mean? just perpetually
1: trading back and no one has a pick until the year three <laughs> thousand, yeah uh, the no yeah, yeah, draft
0: never happens, <laughs>
1: yeah there yeah there'd be so many trades it would be like four o'clock in the morning and the stuff still going on um yeah I mean it would be pretty hard it'd be pretty hard to do I mean this is when it comes down to like it becomes like player evaluation in a way where I think these teams are really, really good at player evaluation. I think there's less differentiation where it, then it really just becomes coin flipping as to more so as to who's going to have and add the best value during a draft. Um, I guess you could go the way that baseball is going, you know, Theo Epstein, who was one of the famous like Red Sox money ball ish sort of guys there eventually has gone off to the Cubs. Um, I don't know if this turn is because like everyone's, you know, sick of analytics or this or that, but then he kind of has gone the other way the last few years saying we need to, you know, analytics has been pushed so far, it's table stakes, it's everyone's doing it that we need to look beyond that sort of stuff to try to differentiate and and look better in the future. So I don't know, We, we could get to that, to that same point, but I think you'd have to be really, really dynamic with having a forward looking model that, that adjusts based upon the new circumstances, um, it isn't just fitting your assumptions to what's happened in the past. That would be the most important thing. Let me ask you
0: about, like, Will Levis in this 32 Kevin situation, because we okay. we have we have new information about Levis, which is, you know, that he's more of a second-round type of value um, than we thought pre-draft. We thought maybe he would be, you know, going very high in the draft. Um, falls out of the first round entirely, but he does play quarterback. The Titans get a boost from from taking, you know, this – uh, position with the potential for a, a ton of surplus value, um, but like knowing that he's basically a second round level quarterback, where would you be taking him as as one of these thirty two kevins? Yeah, I
1: mean that's an interesting one.
0: You know, I mean I
1: don't know about you, but I kind of believe that the Colts. Not that they would have taken him at four. <laughs> yeah, but. They had to take somebody. I'm sorry. Like, no matter what you're going to do, I cannot see Chris Ballard say, come out come out of his first-round press conference and be like, well, you know, we traded down to 27 and we got a great cornerback and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next year. Like, they had to get somebody. So if someone would have traded up into that third spot, um, I don't think they would have taken Levis at four. But I don't know. I don't know because the Titans and their interest, it sounds like the Titans interest was more about Stroud than it was about Levis because it dissipated once Stroud was taken as far as their willingness to trade into that third pick. Um, But I don't know. I, I would, I think, I think it would have been more of like a smaller trade back and then picking him. And I guess I just don't have a problem. Like if the Titans would have taken him at 11, let's say for Levis and then taken someone else with their second round pick is, is whoever they took in the first round, who do they take in the first round anyway? Probably should know these things I before I start talking about them. A Skaronsky. This guy could be a guard, okay? <laughs> it's Very likely this guy could be a guard in the NFL. Are you telling me tackle slash guard Skaronsky is going to make any difference to this future of this franchise versus how Will Levis pans out? Um, I don't think so. I think as long as you're willing to turn the page quickly, accept the bust. Lots of guys bust in the first round constantly. Teams have no problems continuing to be successful – and not get too drawn up into the media hype around you drafted this guy at 11 overall, so now your entire franchise is wrapped around their success, then you should be fine going forward. So I I don't know. I would would definitely take him in the first round, probably the first half of the first round.
0: Okay. Well, let me ask you about the Colts because it seems like they had – maybe Richardson is the top guy on their board. I, I believe that was in the ESPN story that came out. It was well, we'll never, we'll never we'll know. We'll never until know until
1: Richardson fails. And then they'll say that they had someone else at the top of yeah. their board. Yeah. It was really this one get. scout.
0: The <laughs> yeah. scout in that story is a hero right now, but we'll, we'll see how Richardson yeah. does. Um, but like, you know, you were really praising them for sitting tight. They get their guy, you know, it certainly worked out really well, but a team did trade up ahead of them. They're lucky that it was an insanely bad trade for a, not yeah. a quarterback. I mean, that that's a pretty uh, unlikely outcome, (laughs) maybe more likely than it should be in the NFL. But um, definitely, you still can't can't count on that if you're the Colts. So like, and I know that generally, we're not great at predicting, like, quarterback three being better than quarterback four. But in this case, there was a round difference of value between them. Like, should the Colts have just traded up to not for what the not for what the Texans paid, but like at what point do you go up and say, there's a, there's a round value difference between these guys. I'm going to make sure I get my guy. I know you're kind of averse to trade-ups in general. Uh, and we're kind of like criticizing the Eagles for trading up a little bit to make sure they got their steal. But it's um, so at some point it would make sense to do it. Right. No, it would. I, I yeah, I I would. I mean, it, it might've come off
1: that way when I was talking about the Colts, not trading up and praising for that. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. Like I was honestly surprised and I thought it was extremely risky that they did not do that. Now the reporting, again, we don't know, we really don't know anything, but the reporting, the Stephen Holder from ESPN, he has an article about the whole process and it says here, um, got a little tense trying to find, maybe I'm not on the right article here, but it said that he had some Information Ballard had some information that the Titans were out after mm. they were not trading into three, but he didn't know who else necessarily was trading into three. But he thought because the Titans were out, he felt good about it. But you know, there's still risk there. I don't think the the Cardinals are telling them who's trading into it, Um, and it sounds like he might have done it. If it, I mean, we saw the trade composition that they got from. The Texans, the, the like batshit yeah. <laughs> <that> crazy <laughs> trades conversation they got. So he would have had to outbid that, whatever that was. Like, whatever, like Cardinal still could have gotten Will Anderson at four. So that would have been worth more what they would have taken for it. But I don't know. With that sort of conversation, would they have wanted two second round picks or something to move down one spot? Maybe it was something insane like that. So I'll give. Ballard credit for not for not coming off of it there but I do think it was risky but in some ways at least it shows that that's always been Ballard's thing is not necessarily and some people are praising him for saying oh he went for Richardson the risky guy and he's not a risky evaluator. I don't think we have that sort of idea of Ballard. We just know about Ballard that he has been willing to pull a three first round pick trade up to go right. get a quarterback in the past. And if anything, what he did here was very much aligned with what he did in the past. They didn't want to give anything up even for moving up one spot to ensure they got the guy.
0: Yeah, and it seems like they were pretty into Richardson. And then the there has never been any reporting um, that Chase Steichen isn't into Richardson. It was maybe like, oh, maybe Ursay isn't, maybe Ballard isn't. So sitting tight and taking the guy that, you know, your coach wants. Seems like, you know, pretty conservative move.
1: Well, I mean, what may have helped them also on this is again this 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 Levis thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um maybe they also thought by not trading up, like the worst, worst case scenario is we end up with Will Levis, who you know, Jim Irsay probably did really like a lot. I mean, yeah, he said they might have taken him at four or traded down. They would have taken him before it traded down after the draft. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's the owner, right? Saying that after the draft, after the first round. And then he had that insane tweet where everyone thought I hacked his account and I was saying they should double up on quarterback. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: it was... It wasn't quite that clear, but it was sort of like, what are we going to do?
1: I was like, what do you think, Colts fans? Should we go and get Will Levis here in the second round? I mean, absolutely bastard, insane thing to do. Like before the second round, it started. It wasn't like, should we? (laughs) Like you guys realize this hasn't happened yet, you know? I wonder if they actually forced the Titans to trade up by putting out that tweet. Did they trade up above? I don't even know how it worked, but
0: um, but you would have been into that, right? You would be. Oh into yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would
1: have, I would have totally into that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know who did who did the. It's, again, you, you just have to think about this thing. I know everyone wants to focus on oh you're throwing away this pick and this and that. Um, of course, the you know the Indianapolis, which I love, they traded back. So they traded back from 35, then they traded back again from 38. So they picked up some some picks with that one and then they end up taking julius Brents, a cornerback what is this guy gonna be fucking jalen ramsey no you know like he's i'm sure he'll be fine he'll be a fine player so again i don't people are insane it's like the jalen hurts thing when i made that had the jalen hurts article and eagles fans were so upset about not drafting a, a safety or something for their defense. <laughs> like it's, it, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic if you don't have the quarterback right. Yeah, And I think that's what people don't really understand. You seem a little heartbroken that they didn't actually do it. It would have been great. I mean, it would have been great for content. It would have been great for my personal brand. Amazing for content. I'm it would have so been great like, for my really personal me. brand. People would have gone insane. You know what? Because I actually sent out – a tweet earlier that day that I knew it wouldn't happen, but they should consider doing it. Like I sent something out and, you know, colts twitter one of these colts guys found it and i had you know like 14 or 15, not too bad who knows it's probably higher now at like 15 or 16 all quote tweets zero retweets i, I yeah the, perfect, the quote
0: tweets will get you yeah <laughs> the
1: i had the perfect uh, perfect game there uh perfect tweets is when you get 100 percent quote tweets and no retweets the perfect ratio game <laughs> yeah and they were all just like that's so dumb that's so dumb that's the dumbest thing i ever said that's dumb and i just like okay you guys have no points no arguments no no anything on there and it would have just been been funny to hear everyone treating the guy who was the fourth overall pick and the guy who was the 35th overall pick as if it's like an equal quarterback competition or something like that it's like no you spent a lot more on him you know like it's not a huge deal it's a second round pick for will levis we don't have to always treat quarterbacks like they're like people would treat People are going to treat Levis as if he was a top 10 pick if he starts, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. far as when they should be playing him this season. It's like the dude's a second round pick. The Titans, like, blow first round picks every other draft. Who They get nothing out of.
0: Yeah, quarterback's weird. Like, um, on the Swolecast, I was, you know, talking about how the, the Falcons should be trading up for a quarterback in the first round. And, you know, it's like, but don't you have to see what you have in Ritter? And I'm like, I, no. No. You, I don't think you do. I mean, you, you can, and you can still see in training camp, yeah, still give a chance. And, you don't have to cut him. yeah, you don't have to, cut, have him to cut him immediately. right? Yeah, but you know, getting, you know, let's say Ritter was clearly a backup to you know, they trade up and get Stroud or whatever, like getting a very solid backup on a rookie contract in the third round seems like pretty, pretty good move, right? Like that, but people don't really want that. It's like if you take a quarterback, he's got a eventually turn into a a star starter for you yeah that's the
1: thing and the objections to this again i put out this an article earlier this year about um like justin fields and maybe i was a little too eager because i think i put it out like 30 minutes after the texans uh won that last game about the the bears needing to consider taking a (laughs) a quarterback (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Bears fans are not happy about
0: that. Uh, <laughs> the guys are still walking off the field. <laughs> You're already writing Fields' of obituary."
1: Yeah, yeah. So they needed to take a quarterback there, but the <laughs> objections that you get, and I think it's from even like smart-ish. It's not dumb people. It's it's not like they're dumb. It's not that they thought through everything and then they've come to this conclusion. It's just like a reflexive sort of thing. They'll be like, "Yeah, you can't develop two quarterbacks at the same time." It's like we have had so many different quarterback rooms that have had multiple, like even hall of fame level cal- caliber quarterbacks at the same time. We, these guys have been competing in high school, in college, they've emerged. Like you have, there's no evidence against any of this stuff that it's true, but yet people just really, really believe that the way things have done and the way things need to be done. And I don't know why people are so against it reflexively Um, Because if you just say why to everything that they say, they'll never actually have a real concrete evidence-based reason. Um, It'll just be because you can't.
0: Yeah, I think there is a lot of that. Like when Jalen Hurts was selected, I was like, "What? what are the Eagles doing? And like your article on that actually made a lot of sense was I found very persuasive at the time. But it was like one of these things where I was like, I just hadn't even like thought of it, you know, like, oh, you can you're just trying to maximize your chances of finding an elite quarterback. And it really is as simple as that. Um, And it is funny. Yeah. Cause you said on, on one recent podcast that uh, the Cowboys had had a couple like really highly drafted quarterbacks when, when Aikman emerged, is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the, maybe the closest historical analogy, because we're talking about like, if, if, if the bears were actually going to use the number one pick, let's say on Bryce young or someone like that. Um, because yeah, so so people you know, would go nuts. Yeah, people They've would go nuts. I'd minds. love it Um, so the the first the first so Aikman, so you know, Jimmy Johnson takes over. Um, that first draft that they have, uh, they have the number one overall pick. They take Troy Aikman. Then in the supplemental draft, the second pick of the supplemental draft, they take Steve Walsh uh out of Miami, who um I think it was actually like Jimmy Johnson liked him. I think it was like one of these things where ownership was on one side. Jimmy Johnson was on another side. And the way those supplemental picks work is you if you use a first-round pick in the supplemental draft, you lose your first-round pick in the next draft. Well, the, um, the Cowboys went 1-15 in that year. Um, the one win was actually with Steve Walsh. So they lost another number one pick. So they really spent two (laughs) overall number one picks on quarterback, the same off season. So it's not even one year staggered, the exact same off season. And then midway through what was both their second years, um, they traded Walsh to the saints. They got a first, a second, a third and like a future second. So they got a pretty good haul for him eventually when they trade him away, but that's really the only incident that we can find that's fairly similar. And then they were, kind of the most dominant team of the next decade so like it can't work uh at the very least we can
0: point to that and say hey it looks like it worked yeah that is interesting and it's also I mean obviously like the draft capital wasn't there but like the greatest quarterback of all time did emerge uh from behind Drew Bledsoe who was a clear starter so like even you know oh, like the idea... Patrick Mahomes behind uh, Alex Smith <laughs> <laughs> well you know you know I mean there you go too they, they had Alex Smith he had to emerge too. I, I do look forward to the day when I can say the greatest quarterback of all time. And it, and I mean, Patrick Mahomes. I think that's good. Yeah.
1: I mean, Patrick Mahomes, clearly he couldn't develop, right, as a backup on the scout team. He fucking won the MVP his second season. I mean, like, I don't understand how people can make these arguments. Actually, someone did make them. He's like, well, he learned from Alex Smith. I was like, oh, God, it'll, it'll never stop. It'll never stop. People's objections yeah. will, will never stop to this. Um, like quarterbacks, generally, they're good because they're good. That's mostly why it is. Yeah. Circumstance matters. Yeah. Learning, you know, development, that sort of stuff, whatever, that sort of stuff matters. But most of the time they're good because they're good quarterbacks. And when quarterbacks change from one circumstance to another, they normally stay pretty equal to what they were much, much closer to what you see, like team results and how they develop guys really ends up working out.
0: Right, and so if you're taking multiple stabs on finding a guy who turns out to be a very good quarterback, then... You have a better chance of taking, of ending up having taken. You're just not hurting
1: their chance of becoming a great quarterback. Again, you know, Breeze and Rivers were, were, you know, Rivers sat for multiple years. And then while Breeze was there, obviously we have Favre and we have Rodgers. I mean, you can say even Kirk Cousins was behind RG3. They were taking the same draft class at least. But yeah, you don't have a lot of guys that are taken that close together. But you have all many, many examples of multiple quarterbacks who were good on the same team. Young in Montana, right? Where there's just little to say that these guys can't be good or they can't develop. Like, do we think a college quarterback who comes in as a freshman and doesn't play his first two seasons and is starting in his junior year is going to play the exact same way they would have played when they were a freshman? It's like, of course not. Like, of course, they developed and they got better during those those two years. It's just it happens all the time.
0: Yeah, well, I I have uh you know a few shares of Jordan Love on my dynasty teams, and th- that's made me feel better about that. Um, but he let, stinks though. He stinks. Let's face it. <laughs> oh, come on, Kevin. <laughs> 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 you no, know, he's just developing. He was developing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's develop- developing
1: so much they couldn't even
0: make him active his whole rookie season. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> he's better now. Um. All right. Let's talk running back because this is a, and you you put out an article on. Uh, the running back class in terms of your uh, your model and very interesting running back results here both good and bad for fantasy purposes mostly bad for real life purposes the NFL not controlling itself at all we, no. we were we were told first round running back was a thing of the past uh, we've got two top 15 running backs in this class um, but yeah let's talk about those guys B. John Robinson goes eight to the Falcons he shows up in your model at a, with a ninety eight point two score. Uh, Jameer Gibbs not too far behind ninety six point five. You have them both in tier one. Um, I guess let's talk with Bijan real quick. Like how do, how does he compare to some of the other former model greats? Yeah,
1: yeah. So this this goes from the 29, 2009 draft class through all the way this year when it's looking at the percentile and that's their percentile. Uh, I mean, draft position, whatever it's, I mean, it's going to drive most of everything there. So it is pretty closely aligned with what you might see based upon like the highest drafted running back. So he doesn't trump guys who were drafted above him, at least according to the profile. So Saquon Barkley, who went second, Uh, Christian McCaffrey, did he go eighth also? Uh, He might have. So McCaffrey is above him, though, still in the projection because of the receiving work that he had. Ezekiel Elliott, who went fourth, and Leonard Fournette went fourth, I believe, or fifth. Um, I think fourth. Yeah, I think fourth, too. So, like, he's still below those guys, so maybe he doesn't get, like, a bump up even higher on there. And I think the stuff with Bijan's profile that puts him in people's minds as being even higher probably isn't something that's going to show up in the straight numbers anyway, right? Like he, he was, I mean, he was pretty, pretty good as far as his dominance, but wasn't like off the charts as far as his dominance concerned size, speed definitely checks the boxes, but, is not, you know, crazy in that in that regard. Right. And then the receiving is just going to ding his profile whether, you know, so, so, you know, these guys think that, you know, Bijan's going to be out there like running post routes or something like that in the NFL <laughs> the way they talk about him. And I just don't I'm I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he's fine out there receiving, but at least from a pure like analytical perspective, he doesn't go up there. So so he's pretty high, but I was actually surprised that Gibbs was almost nearly as high. As Robinson, and I think that might be a little bit of the model, not knowing what to do with a guy who is 199 pounds and drafted 12th overall, and McCaffrey, while significantly and materially heavier at 209 pounds, with a with a strong receiving profile, has been such a success by the numbers his first few seasons, which I'm really looking at here maybe a lot of that is kind of like bleeding over into Gibbs's high score where I think the ceiling is, you know, is compromised. And, you know, I, I think David Montgomery is like a lot better than, let's say, uh, Jamal Williams or someone like that uh, also.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably uh, true. I think he's certainly more, um, more versatile than Williams. I mean, the
1: seasons that he's had in his career, like th- those are beyond Jamal Williams's yeah uh, ceiling yeah. case yeah. you know i mean he's had like 800 to a thousand rushing yards every single year and 2020 i mean he had a legitimate like top you know top 12 season right it was even better than that i think um where you know like jamal williams no matter how, no matter who his running back competition was was never going to be able to do something like that
0: yeah and i think i've made the case that in dynasty like part of the argument you're going to hear with gibbs is look he's going to be worth a lot after his rookie season. He's going to flash, you know, it's probably be a good offense and he's going to catch passes. And so people are going to be excited about heading him heading into 2024, which I agree with, but so will you, the guy who drafted him. So I don't think, you know, and I am someone who preaches trying to target guys with future trade value, but I think Gibbs has pretty low odds of breaking out into like a workhorse, you know, elite fantasy producer as a rookie because of the weight issue. I think he is going to have to put on weight. Um, but I think at the same time, I'm pretty interested in him because even though I know I'm going to hold him into his second year, and basically the bet is going, I'm going to flip the cards over on what he ends up being before I'm able to move off of him or willing to move off of him. Um, but it, the upside on what he could be does strike me as really high. Um, I have McCaffrey coming in at 202. I think Ray Rice came in under 200 pounds. Um, you know, Gibbs. I forget how old he is, but he's pretty young, right? Um, yeah, yeah,
1: not, yeah. I mean, not he's super coming out old. as a
0: as a third year guy. Um,
1: yeah, so like, I guess Ray um, Rice is like is is your BMI guy, though. I guess. Yeah, he's a bit shorter, right? Th- th- those um, things. Okay, I would say. What do you think about like Javid Best or something like that as being yeah, a comp? I yeah. mean, Lions similar. I'm looking at his rookie year, and where did he end up? So he ended Lions, up, right? yeah, he was with the Lions. I guess it depends. I mean, maybe we'll look at PPR to give him a little bit of a of a bump because I feel like this could be a bit of a like similar similarity. He only played fifteen games, so but still fifteen out of sixteen, he was running back twenty in in PPR, uh, five hundred sixty three yards on one hundred seventy two carries, eighty targets. Um, so DeAndre Swift, I think, has been in the seventies a couple of times recently, and how many targets he had. 58 catches, 400 about 500 yards, and then two touchdowns. We so just didn't have many touchdowns, and that kind of kept him down. But again, like he was an exciting, fun player. People yeah. really liked him a lot. But you know, again, running back twenty was that sort of outcome. Now he's smaller even still, so maybe you could say maybe Gibbs really could go into this role. But I guess the presence of Montgomery doesn't, and the way they talk about him, it doesn't make me think they're necessarily he has that sort of upside to be like a McCaffrey or a Ray Rice?
0: Not this year. I mean, but both McCaff- McCaffrey didn't have his breakout until second year, and Rice was very, very quiet as a rookie. Um, the I'll give two comps. One is insanely bullish, and one is uh, very, very bearish. Um, but Jamal Charles is a guy people float out there, and he came yeah. in at 200, 5'11", 200, ran a 4.38. Um, great pass catcher. So that's, that's kind of your, like, you know, to the moon comp. David Wilson is a name I'll also mention as a guy who was at one point extremely valued in dynasty leagues. I mean, this guy back in like 2011 was, I believe a first round dynasty pick overall. I don't mean in rookie drafts. I mean, like in startups Um, he came in at two Oh six. He ran a four, four nine. So a little slower, but the undersized uh, running backs, I think have hit big at times, but it's definitely a a pretty big red flag. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, David Wilson, pour one
1: out tom coughlin killed that guy didn't he is that what ended up happening like something happened where it was a next thing. it was a next murdered thing. him i, I believe <laughs> actually after he uh fumbled on like the first snap um that was fun times as a rookie um yeah i guess i mean the whole college thing i don't know i mean it's possible it's possible it's possible you're right that he eventually could be that guy and we'll have to wait and see it's always it's always i just think there's there's maybe some risk built into the profile there For sure, yeah. You're
0: gonna and you're gonna be waiting, I think, a couple years. But he's someone I'm willing to bet on. I'm willing to bet on him this year because, um, you know, we have seen like the guy emerge even sooner than the team thought they would. David Johnson being a case where like down the stretch of his rookie season. Now Johnson has like, I think he was in the 230. So he's you know got maybe 35 pounds on Jameer Gibbs. uh, So a pretty different type of guy, but was quite the pass catcher. Um, and emerged as a, you know, as a superstar down the stretch of his rookie season. I wouldn't rule that type of thing out. Where he has, um, you know, maybe Montgomery gets banged up and Gibbs takes on sixty five percent of the snaps and, and is electric. And it's fantasy. We want to win the fantasy playoffs, so I I am still interested in in him. But I think in most outcomes, it's a it's a year or two play probably. Uh, let's let's talk Charbonnet because he's like a big faller in fantasy circles. But your model has him as running back three uh, and he got really good draft capital. You know, he's the only other running back to be selected in the the top two rounds uh, besides the guys we just talked about. And I think because of how Kenneth Walker looked last year, I mean, he was, he was really great. And, you know, also highly drafted. People are kind of like, well, obviously, Charbonnet was drafted to like be a a great backup to Kenneth Walker, the starter. But I'm like, obviously nothing. Like they took this guy in the second round. Like they they may plan to play him a lot. Um, so I've actually maintained uh, some interest in Charbonnet, particularly in redraft, where he strikes me as like a very kind of high upside contingency type guy because he also might have some standalone value and not be a total dead roster spot um, in the meantime.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't have like a very exact way to try to figure this out but I'm with you in that I would kind of wherever however high people are or low people are because of the situation with Walker I would assume they're they're too much they're too, too far in that direction so i would just lean a little bit the the other direction wherever that wherever that is now unless things really wait, wait, around, for
0: the record do you know where that is are they are they high or low
1: i don't know I gotta, I gotta do the old lick the finger and stick it up here and figure out which way the wind's blowing but you but they're um, wrong <laughs> they're wrong okay wherever it is always count on the fact of them being wrong so Yeah, I I think no matter who the running – running back is just so – it's so tenuous anyone's grip on anything other than a top 10 running back who's being drafted that – yeah, I mean, you know, if you you say that, like – well, they already spent a second round pick on Walker and that's why he's valuable. Well, they just spent a second round pick on, on Zach Charmide. So if it's like, you're saying this second round pick doesn't count, but the other one counts a lot, then we're probably in the wrong space. So I, I agree that you should probably have a better definition than reach on him before anyone else gets to him, Cause you don't know exactly where, where anyone else is at that point in time. Um, But I would be more prospect or more situation agnostic, I guess, when it comes to, to him. Um, If only because there's not a lot of like year one upside being built in probably to his value right now. Anyway.
0: With Charbonnet. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't. Yeah. 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 He seems to be falling a bit in drafts, which I, I, I kind of Where
1: like. where where do you where is he going right now? I mean, are you like strictly superflex? Everything's superflex now. Is that what's happening? I'm I'm kind of behind the curve on the
0: game. I'm in all these old school leagues. So, uh, so I in superflex he's going. I haven't done any superflex. I haven't done any rookie drafts yet. Um, my first one kicks off tonight. But I think he's going kind of uh behind Devin chain. In like the early round two range, I could be slightly off. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Okay, um, you wouldn't do, do that maybe. because it's too early. To talk about that, but yeah, or you you wouldn't take a chain ahead. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I wouldn't take a chain first. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's so and then in in uh, best ball, Zach Charbonnet currently has an ADP of one hundred and one. Uh, Kenneth Walker, this is on underdog. Kenneth Walker has an ADP of thirty seven. So big, big gap. Um, I like Charbonnet there more, where you're you're kind of getting that. Because I, I do think it's not going to be fun to have Charbonnet over the next... Because he, it's probably going to be in this same situation repeatedly. So it's never yeah. going to be someone that well, people want to trade for, people are all that excited about. But as a redraft pick with the contingency contingency value at that price, uh, I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, Devin A. Chain, he's up to 119.5 in best ball. And he's... I've been talked into... Putting him one spot ahead in my superflex ranks, so I'm actually a part of of these idiots who are ranking A chain over Charbonnet. <laughs> Tell us how we've lost the thread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. So here's one thing about the Dolphins.
1: We, I, we don't really know. I guess there's some possibility they could actually lean on one running back, but like. Moster's pretty good. He was pretty effective for them. I mean, he almost won them the game in Buffalo uh, week 15 with how he played, but he's just like brittle, right? He's just going to get injured all the time. So doesn't it seem like extremely logical that this is just, Hey, we have another guy who could make some explosive plays. Like we can have an explosive running offense basically is what they're trying to do there. And then, You know, everything can shift around, obviously. But when we're talking about Tariq Hill, Waddle, I guess they don't really have Gesicki around anymore. But, um, you know, last year, Mostert got 42 targets. Wilson got 24 targets. Fullback, there's a lot of fullback love in there. Uh, Chase Edmonds got 17 targets. I mean, he's not a lot. Not a lot to go around there. So I guess that's part of my concern in that offense, too, is if there's not a lot of targets Drafting the you know 180 something pound running back is
0: like your your floor case maybe a bit lower than what you think. That seems fair. I I did get excited. Uh, I went and watched the press conference and Mike McDaniel was basically saying he had fallen in love with Devin Aching. It was like he was he wouldn't stop trying to get them to draft him. And uh, I get I had to remind myself that of uh, of Joe Williams. Who, who Kyle Shanahan yeah. banged the table to uh, to trade up for a guy who was previously not on their board. So, you know, it's a different never, person. Never seen he, from. Never seen from again, I think. Never. After yeah. Mike McDaniel's not Kyle Shanahan, but maybe he inherited that same trait of uh, of getting a third-round running back who never does anything.
1: Yeah, that could definitely be a possibility. But again, it's just like, what would I, I don't know if they're smart. Like he, I love most Like why not have, have him and then just run a couple of explosive guys. I mean, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, I definitely, that's one of the things where I think I've, I've erred on the side of opportunity more often than just looking at like the general macro mm-hmm. environment slash if one or two contingencies go correct, what you could hit sort of situation um, because even a situation last year when we're talking about um, uh, what why is why is the name escaping me now of the Texans r- rookie who was pretty no, good. Damian Pierce, Damian Pierce, like even Damian Pierce, like everyone was completely right about that, and you know he did have a have a pretty good year, right? He did have a pretty good year at the same point in time. Like the offense just sucks, you know. He had right. four rushing touchdowns, and. You know, it was it was, a, it was a really good upside year, but it's like there's it's still only so far you can get even if everything goes right in one of those sorts of situations. So that's what I'm, I'm worried about in, in some areas when it comes to a guy who's 180-something pounds in particular.
0: Well, is weight what's knocking him down? Because in your model, like, it's not just that he's behind Charbonnet clearly. It's that he's with guys like, and actually when I say with, I mean behind, guys like yeah. Evan Hall and Deuce Vaughn. So he's like pretty far down. He's not... Even in he's like two tiers below Charbonnet uh, in your model. Is it the weight that's driving that? Because he was pretty productive, especially in his final year. He was he was kind of a workhorse, which is weird, given how small he is.
1: Yeah, I guess his numbers are maybe a little low for total yards and touchdowns. Not, Not particularly, but you're right. He has the rush attempts there. Um, for that type of number, I guess his receiving share is maybe a little bit low, but he has 3.6 reception. So, yeah, you're right. I, I guess it just must be the combination of draft position and weight in that type of area hasn't been in that type of area of the draft. We're talking about mm. like the later third round, has just been very strongly like a role type of player as opposed to someone who
0: really emerges in those first few years. Are there any guys in kind of the, the tier above that um, that jump out to you? I think Kendra Miller has, has kind of caught the eye of the fantasy community a little bit because we're expecting an Alvin Kamara suspension. Jamal Williams was always kind of someone that like people were reluctantly drafting. I think I'll, I, I'll speak for myself. I certainly was uh, not all that excited, but like, Hey, this guy might give me some early season production. I could use that given the way I've constructed my team, et cetera. But Kendra Miller now offers a little bit of that. Um, certainly as a rookie, he'll probably come on somewhat slowly, but it could be a long suspension for Kamara, And then maybe down the stretch, he's like a, like a two down guy. If Kamara's you know, playing ahead of him, but seeding some of that early down stuff, as we've seen Kamara do throughout his career. Um, He's he's kind of interesting, but it's also like the type of guy I could see is starting to overvalue because his prospect profile is is fine, but it's not it's not that great. Tajay Spears is someone like relative to Miller that I think might get a little overlooked. Um, Tank Bigsby's kind of interesting; is kind of a handcuff type. Any of those dudes jump out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with Miller is I just don't know how much like there's this kind of glow around the Saints maybe still in some people's minds when it comes to running backs because of not only the success that Kamara's had, but, you know, before that with Sprouls and, and all that sort of stuff and how they use that. I guess we'll see what it's like going forward. I mean, whatever. You know, Derek Carr likes to dump it off, so I guess that's, that's part of it there. I mean, I'm interested to see what may happen with Kamara next year mm. because – like, are they going to... He doesn't have any guaranteed salary next year, but you know they restructured his deal. So, I guess if they're willing to just eat the the dead money, they could. But if they cut him um, next season... Well, I guess they could do post-June 1. But if it's pre-June 1, it's only about $1.6 in savings and $17 million of dead money. Um, if they do it post-June 1, it flips around a little bit there. So... I don't know. Is like, is Kamara still going to be around for all of 2024? Also, I guess that's a that's a question.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely interesting. I mean, their cap situation is a nightmare, so I would imagine that they, if they can move on from him, especially if he's coming off the suspend. Also, Kamara might be kind of over the hill. He, a lot of the stuff that I was looking at efficiency wise was was flashing um, pretty concerning stuff on Kamara, so. That would be kind of interesting. And you definitely get a trade window, at least. Like, if Kamara was going to get cut, if that was the word, um, that might start coming out next February, and you might be able to trade Kendra Miller before you even know what they do in free agency in the draft. So that that definitely makes him a bit more interesting. No, I, mean, I think uh, he'll have
1: a functional offense. So I think he probably has – even with Tajay Spears or or Roshan Johnson, those guys um, – like Spears is going to be a play if it's likely the Titans turn the page this season, mm-hmm. which maybe they should because they have like a new GM and Vrabel's safe for for forever, probably in that franchise. Like if they decided to go trade or cut Tannehill, trade Derrick Henry, then you're in a Will Levis offense with, you know. Traylon Burks is 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 out for the first six weeks because of a hamstring pull, and you don't know,
0: Traylon, Come on, <laughs> and they're
1: and they're throwing it to you know Nick Westbrook Akine is <laughs> is out there, and Levis is taking a sack every other play. Like don't forget about might Kyle, not Phillips. Be...
0: Kyle Phillips, Kyle Phillips <laughs> in
1: the slot. It just might not be fun uh, there. So and then the Bears like I just have no faith in the Bears being a good spot yeah. for a running back with Justin Fields there. So yeah, he's definitely my favorite guy in that tier. Um is being able to work in a, in in that in that offense. Again, like the macro environment, like if he has that role,
0: then it's 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 much better there I think than uh, than in those other spots. Is there anyone you've got a, a tier called the rest uh which unfortunately contains Izzy Abanacanda, who I was pretty hyped on before <laughs> the drafts in the NFL? Still, so told me i was wrong on that one unfortunately and then he goes to the jets and you know any long-term uh upside is gone because he's going to be behind breece hall but like as a i was a little disappointed to see him here in your model where he's like behind eric gray uh and in a tier called the rest because like i was like well at least maybe he you know gets a little run early in the season he's got contingent value but per your model that even that might be optimistic
1: yeah. I mean, again, the model, we're, you know, we're splitting hairs here kind of in, in yeah. a way. If uh, once we start to get down into this sort of area, I think it's the lack of receiving work hmm. that probably is hurting his projection for someone who's taken that late to have any sort of early career impact. There's just too many guys who are, you know, 215 plus pounds didn't catch the ball that much in college and then are drafted on day three. And then, you know, literally kind of like posted zero their first few years. So it makes it difficult. Um, what do you think about Chase Brown? I'm kind of interested in this guy. Um, and I, I like tough. his profile. I like his profile because the knocks on him are like that. He's just not good at being a running back. And I'm kind of, I don't really, I, I like, lo- I like that stuff. I like when a guy gets dropped for, not being, being good them. according to like film when i look at him oh, and i'm I like oh, he catches a little bit he runs fast and he's he's decently big that's like checks all my boxes he he's very he up, Breaks a lot of tackles
0: little, too breaks a lot of tackles he was kind of the sean tucker evan hall type um he's not that big so that's definitely like I, he's small he's 209 he's smaller than like where i would feel confident that a nfl team would like give him all the work like for example, Tony Pollard's like 209 now, you know, and that's when one of the reasons he's taken forever to get a full time role. So when you say 209 now, are you are you sneaking into
1: his his database and catch <laughs> like, you know, that he's gotten bigger over the years
0: or what? I mean, that's always listed now, not, oh, not yeah, as a okay. prospect
1: like. He's okay. currently I thought maybe you hacked like he had a, he had one of like a smart a smart uh system in his house that you guys have hacked and you've been tracking his weight or something.
0: Well, let me google him. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he was a But well, what was he in the combo? No, 209. 209 according to Google, right? Right now. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> I've got Tony Tony Pollard. I've got uh, an app set up that tracks his weight. Okay. He's currently 209. Um Chase Brown's been a little bit difficult for me. Uh, I'm actually rated right at ADP with him, according to Underdog. But the the thing with him is that there's a lot of interest in trying to figure out what's going to happen with the Bengals. Because, you know, if if Mixon doesn't get suspended and is, is basically, you know, the regular starting running back, he could have even more value than he did last year. Um, and he's an amazing value where he's going right now. But if Mixon gets suspended then Brown has a pretty big opportunity, particularly because like the profile that, that you laid out with him, it reminds me of guys like, you know, Benjamin, you know, dudes who don't maybe get the first opportunity, but when they get the opportunity, they're fine. And he can consolidate touches and be like a really strong kind of contingent play. Um, But the contingency in this case, isn't just injury. It's this, all this uncertainty around Mixon's legal status and, and how much the team even wants him there. So I've, I basically don't have like a, a strong take relative to ADP. I've got him at um, 176. His ADP is 175. So um, I'm, I think he's a good pick, but I guess I'm, I'm nervous that he'll start to rise up boards, and I don't love his profile. I think it's like fine.
1: Yeah, I guess it all depends on mix and like what they end up doing. So suspension. But he's going to have some of his salary knocked off from the fact that that would happen. Um, so, are you hearing this in the background? Or yeah. Are you <laughs> dialing up to the internet right now? No. I see fuckers <laughs> next door are like doing. They're like doing. They're, I don't know what the hell is going on. I just heard this all of a sudden when they're like they're like doing some work next door or something. It okay, literally yeah, I sounds could... like the dial up internet
0: from nineteen ninety
1: nine. I don't know what to say. This is <laughs> very annoying, though. I have to say, it must be this wall that's attached to the to the thing the townhouse there's a joy the joys of being Uh, in a townhouse um (laughs) i didn't heard this before (laughs) light here um okay
0: maybe i'll try to talk here oh here it comes back again fuck um (laughs) a townhouse would be an upgrade for me i mean it's just a row of of houses and i mean i I like
1: townhouse living because i'm lazy i don't want to have to like keep track of a yard or anything all right i don't know when or if this is going to end though is the problem here (laughs) Are you,
0: are you safe right now? Are they breaking in? <laughs> is <laughs> someone know. drilling into your home?
1: What the hell is going on here? Um... Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know if we have to reconvene or if I have to move to a secure location. I mean, I could definitely <laughs> move away from this wall, but then I'm outside... Should I just I move mean, my out? My plan right
0: now is to leave all of this in, just so you're aware.
1: <laughs> should I talk, or should I talk over it? Is or is this going to ruin the experience? Yeah, no, just or... talk over it. I
0: think you're fine. I mean, okay. if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard a million sirens, so I don't. You know
1: Okay, maybe I'll like yeah. if I position the microphone in this direction, and then it's more like away from the wall. That's not helping. <laughs> that okay. made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I let me give it a talk here. So, Mixon, pre-suspension, $9.4 million salary this year, okay? $9.4 million. Um, he has a per-game roster bonus, another 500 So, it puts about $10 million. Uh, workout bonus, I don't know if that's been paid or not, but maybe paid. We're, so we're talking about more than $10 million you owe this guy. You cut him post-June 1st. You take $2.7 against the cap. You like you you might be wanting to just accumulate money. Um, you got cheap ownership that may just want to mm. be accumulating mm. money anyway for Burrow
0: and Higgins and whoever. I don't know. Like, shouldn't they just cut this guy? Yeah, they probably should. So you're saying they can save what eight million by cutting him? I mean, you're, pers- but if he gets
1: suspended, like they don't have to pay that money, right? So they wouldn't uh-huh. be actually saving the suspension money. But I'm saying if he's not suspended, they don't pay not, They don't pay ten million dollars in cash. You okay. know, that's not chump change, right? Like Mixon's base salary went from 1.3 to 5 to 8 last year. And now it's up to 9.4 with a $500,000 um, per game bonus. So you 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 post June 1st them and you save that money. I don't know. It seems like.
0: If he does get suspended, do you think that increases the chance he's he stays with the Bengals? I don't know. It's a weird way to think about it though, isn't it? But
1: I mean, I guess it is a situation where you save more cash, right? Because if he's suspended for, I guess it can't really, like no one can be suspended for more than like, unless you kill somebody now or you're Deshaun Watson out there, like what's the suspension going to be six games or something six like games. that? Yeah. I think yeah. six games. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a third of that a little bit more than I guess, um, so I don't know. You save a third, but I don't know. I'd be trying to save the cash,
0: I think. So, and you, do you like Brown enough to where you think, like, if they get rid of Mixon, just, is this a Fournette landing spot? Is this a Cream Hunt landing spot? Is this a Zeke landing spot? Or, you know, do they do they roll with, with who they got? Like, because that's what I'm struggling with. Do I make bets like there's this huge increase in value that is realistic? Or... Is it even, you know, we're talking about, what, a fifth-round rookie who is an okay profile. What are the odds that he actually gets a meaningful role, even if Mixon is cut?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's probably not high, but what, what do you spend it on him? So, I don't, I don't no, know. Almost not. I mean, at the very least, you could just sell immediately.
0: <laughs> just <about> any, <laughs> any sort true. of hope, you know? That might be the best way to go about it. All right, well, let's move to wide receiver uh, before the walls come tumbling down around you um <laughs> so that was worse because i'm muting between so now it will like come
1: and go and people maybe i should just let it roll the whole time i'm in a quandary here i think
0: it's fine i think it's fine i'll hear after that i think i actually did hear i think kyle at one of the podcasts had it like in a very obnoxious echo that someone was like i'm done listening until this echo goes away i was like i don't think it ever does man yeah. um so so you're you're not the worst uh audio issues that we've had Not the worst. Uh, That's what I'm aiming for most of the time. Yeah. Quentin Johnston is now wide receiver one in your model, which uh, is, is not consensus. And I think interestingly, like the guy that the fantasy community has, I think gotten the most excited about after the draft is actually Jordan Addison, because he's landed in a spot where it's very easy to project him getting a role right away. Number two, wide receiver on the team. Um, you know, should be a pretty functional offense, you know, above average passing offense. Uh, And we're not worried about routes for him. He's going to come uh, immediately. He's going to be running all the routes with Johnston. He's probably, you know, the, the wide receiver three. I mean, I think that's pretty safe bet. Assuming everyone's healthy, might not see, you know, the full route tree. Same with Jackson Smith and Jigbo. That, that's an even bigger concern for him because he's going to be playing mostly in the slot. They don't run a lot of eleven personnel could see, you know, route participation below what we want but you have actually addison ranked third in the model the model has him third um johnston first jsn second so just want to get your thoughts on those guys because things i think got more interesting after the draft with these three
1: yeah i mean i guess the thing when it comes to addison i think addison is like a 2023 median outcome Easily the, the the top guy. I guess what I wonder, and then maybe goes also get your opinion on this too, is when we look at these three, okay, Metcalf probably not going anywhere for the next, I don't know, four or five years. Um, conceivably, though, you never know what can happen over the next couple of years. Jefferson probably not going anywhere for the next 10 10 years, right? Yeah. When it comes yeah. when it comes to Minnesota and TJ Hawkinson like they're already kind of committed a bit on him with the trade and he just sucks up a bunch of little dink targets that uh-huh. are disgusting but it's gonna happen uh quarterback wise you don't really know in either one of those areas what's gonna happen in either one of those places it's getting louder is it uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> either one of these places uh I think I think they breached the the the, the perimeter uh <laughs> either one of those places you don't know what's gonna happen So for me, it's like, there's some possibility in like a year that Mike Williams and Keenan Allen could be gone. Not a strong possibility. There's a, there's definitely some possibility in two years, both of those guys will be gone. And, and there's a hundred percent chance that Justin Herbert is still going to be there. So I don't know, like, I really like those Hmm. potential like tailwinds outcomes that you could get with Johnston, even though. He's number one in the model, but I would not have him as the number one receiver in like my own personal rankings. But it's sometimes, you know, fading myself in my opinions is something I'm,
0: I'm happy to do. That's a pretty interesting one, because, yeah, um, I had not realized how easy it is for the Chargers to get out of Mike Williams contract after next year. And they save a bunch of money by doing so. He's got a thirty two point five million dollar cap hit next season. And they could um, both be
1: gone next year. Yeah. 2024. And it could just be like, we need to save money for Herbert too. And all of a sudden it's like Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnston. And they're like drafting another receiver or something.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. I mean, I mean, Keenan Allen, there were a lot of rumors about him being a cap casualty this off season. I think the odds that they, they get rid of him next year, especially if he struggles with the same kind of injury stuff. And I mean, he's getting up there in age. It would not be surprising. It would almost be surprising if he's uh what going to be 32 in 2024 he's got a 34.7 million dollar cap hit i mean they're going to that he will never see that money He's they're going to restructure that or yeah. yeah. I think
1: it's in some ways you might even say that Keenan, this may be Galaxy branding in it, but I'm wondering if he's even more likely to be on the roster than Mike Williams because he'll be like, okay, whatever. I'll like right. take a take a pay cut just to stick around. You know, I'm cool just playing out my career
0: here versus Mike Williams is gonna more want to go get another payday at a younger age. That's I agree with that. Cause and Williams is also he's entering um I think he'll be like 29 when this all comes to pass. he's He's 28 now. So we're talking about him kind of entering his age 30 season in 2024. I mean, that's his last chance to get any kind of real big money. So I think... Yeah. And, and he, I guess he would sign that contract at 29 years old. So a team could talk themselves into him not being 30 yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the downside, I'm going to talk directly into the mic now. The <laughs> downside, the downside uh, is if like the Chargers like go to the Super Bowl or something, I don't think that they'll be somehow forced to like bring everyone back or do something right. and, and dumb. So they'll probably do that.
0: I like that. I mean, because Quentin Johnston struck me as a true boom bust wide receiver. But I had the same feeling about T Higgins and like my gut was kind of like, oh, he could be a bust. He could be a bust. Like, don't, you know, don't take the risk. But I forced myself to draft some of them because I, I did actually think he had a wide range of outcomes, both good and bad. And I was like, if you think that you can't just only bet that he's bad, that could re- end up really hurting. And it obviously would have ended up really hurting. And I feel the same way about Quentin Johnson. Like my gut is like, I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to take him, but. I mean this is yet another reason to think uh that the ceiling is pretty massive. He's the yeah, clear wide yeah. receiver 1 in a year?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean I I agree and say, I was with you on Higgins. Maybe we were like everyone was anti guys who can't separate or something. I remember thinking mm-hmm. at that point I was like, "Oh my god, this guy I, someone mocked him to the Eagles, I think it was." And I was and I was like there's no way this guy's going to end up another Artega Whiteside or someone. Why would they ever take that now? They, they got to take Rager. These are <laughs> idiots if they take Higgins. <laughs> yeah, Rager is explosive. Um, yeah. Yeah, God, what, what kind of interviewing were they doing on him? Talking about not liking football. This guy, what is this guy doing with his time? Um, but anyway, so yeah, no, I agree. I think sometimes you got you to gotta fade yourself. I mean, I don't like the drop rate. I guess it gives me some like Cordero Patterson vibes or something. Like maybe he can't catch the ball very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't really excited about his 40 also when it came to being like whether he's actually explosive or not, whether we just got fooled into that somehow. So i am but saying all that, you know, a year from now, there's a possibility that we're just getting pretty excited about that. Um, and I, I kind of think Josh Palmer's like not good. Also, I mean, maybe yeah. some people still like Josh Palmer. He was definitely bad by efficiency, like any sort of efficiency metric you look at. Last year, Herbert performed a lot worse. And it's almost entirely because the targets that went to Josh Palmer were so bad versus Williams and Keenan Allen almost performed on the same level. Palmer bad. And then Eckler, like his targets were extremely inefficient, which is probably not him. It's probably like more the
0: offensive system or whatever right, versus the right. prior year. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think Palmer provides, you know, creates all that much of a barrier to playing time, um, especially with the draft capital. Marvin Mims is a guy that your model's pretty high on. I like Mims a lot. Um, To me, I, I think like maybe kind of a sneaky good situation where like you want to talk about a year from now, how many things could change. I mean, Russell Wilson stinks this year; he's gone. You know, I think it's pretty clear that Sean Payton came in there and was like, "This is my show." You know, yeah, I yeah. Don't... I mean, he's he's he,
1: Sean Payne's in a no lose situation here because if Russell Wilson's good, it's because Sean Payne fixed him.
0: If he stinks, it's because he's unfixable, right? So, you see, the, the sirens are going now. So, I've I've got us covered on we're on competing well. here. This is good, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: bring some symbols in here pretty soon and start to <laughs> start doing something. I believe in New York, I think we can
0: win this noise competition. Um, uh, yeah, let me ask about. Well, I don't know. Tell me about Marvin Mims. Well, this is this uh ambulance
1: Mims is one of these guys. I don't know if you have this phenomenon. Like, I um I can be such a contrarian sometimes that I'm like contrarian on myself, where I'm like, I like this Marvin Mims guy. You know, he's gonna go in the who knows where he'll end up going, but it won't be that early, and he'll probably end up going in the third, (laughs) late third round, and then. (laughs) You know and then he goes in the second round. And I'm like, I don't know if I like this guy anymore. He's like, it's too early, it's, it's, too, it's too early for me. Like, I get discouraged by the fact that they go earlier than I thought they
0: were gonna go. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, you should stay away from mirrors, man. That's that's just like you start yelling at yourself. Yeah, it's,
1: it, uh, I know. I got, I, got, I got issues. Same thing happened with Jalen. Um, Jaden Reed in this one, I'm like I can't can't like this guy anymore because he went drafted too early. So I don't know about Mims. I guess the question with Mims is, what do you think about this um, deep threat type of profile in the NFL now? Because for me, and this is what my model's picking up, guys who had very large um, yards per reception, very good yards per reception, who didn't necessarily have great production have been picked out in the model as guys who had outperformed in the NFL. But that's really like, when we look at this sample, it's really the guys who were more in the 2009 to Mm. 2015 sort of guys versus what we've seen over the last several years. You know, guys like like Odo Beckham didn't have a ton of production, but I think he averaged 20 yards a catch. Or Demarius Thomas or someone like that had a super huge efficiency on those catches. So it likes Mims because Mims has the 20 yards per reception without having great necessarily career or peak share numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but does that not work anymore? I mean, I tend to say I, I, maybe it's somewhere in between, but I think some people might think that based upon the fact that we haven't really seen these deep threats be able to convert to larger target gathering valuable guys in fantasy recently.
0: Yeah, and that that was the pushback uh, on the mailbag pot I did. Uh, Jake Sanderson pushed back uh, on my Marvin Mims love because of that exact reason. He's he's probably he's kind of an undersized deep threat, um, and that that I think is a bit of a concern, especially for his ability to earn targets. I guess what I would hope is that you know he basically showed an ability to get open, and you know he can win deep and intermediate, I think. And so if he's able to, maybe that deep ability points to an ability to win at multiple levels of the field, you know, in the NFL, not just well, he's not fast just too, I guess he's very like, fast. Like
1: uh, Diami, uh, Diami Brown or someone like that. It's like, he wasn't even really a fast, right? He wasn't really that fast when he timed. So, and even KJ Hamler, I feel like he's been open a lot. <laughs> he says it. Right. He drops it. He's got a little dropsies. Um, but he dude gets open down the field,
0: yeah. For him, he struggled with so many injuries and kind of like multiple coaching changes and stuff. Where I think he's just going to be a what could have been. Um, but I mean, this I like getting the first wide receiver that Sean Payton drafted, the guy he traded up for and took in the second round. They've you know, they did pick up Jerry Judy's fifth year option, but they don't seem particularly tied to him. They could end up trading him, even having picked it up. Sutton is a guy that has been shopped around. Tim Patrick could get cut. So I think Mims, you know, depending on what the quarterback, maybe the quarterback situation is really awful next year, even if it's not Russ, but I don't think we're going to have to deal with just the tail end of, of Russ's career. If he just doesn't have it anymore. I think they're moving on. Maybe they move on from Sutton. They could move on from Sutton before this year, you know, so you could have Mims as like a clear outside starting receiver with, them having figured out quarterback to some extent um and or maybe maybe russ gets it together under sean payton which is also i think so essentially there's a couple outs to where we feel pretty good about Mims. you know
1: what's weird though okay for sutton like well, how, how are you getting rid of this guy exactly according to the, the over the cap he has 14 million dollar guaranteed salary mm. that seems like a uh, uh conditional seventh is too much to ask for <laughs> in return for trading that off to somebody no one's like it so that that could be a little bit difficult and i know i was listening to part of one of your your marathon mailbag pod so i don't know if i got to the end but but i was listening to the jerry judy galaxy brain that they picked up as options so that they could trade so they could trade him like is he i don't know is he worth less with like he's making he's making 2.6 million dollars this year in base salary and his option for next year is $13 million. Um, I might rather trade for him one year $2.6 million than two years
0: uh, $16 million. Oh, like what's Zay Jones making? You know, are you getting him for, for like Zay Jones money or is he making more? Yeah, he's making, uh, da, 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 da. he signed a three-year $24 million. Okay, so it wasn't quite. Wasn't quite, but what what was Christian Kirk's massively overpaid deal? That was paying him. Yeah, I more. mean, I,
1: I, yeah, I mean, the, don't get me wrong. There's possibilities there. I mean, in a way, though, like Christian Kirk has kind of actually done did more <laughs> than uh, the Jerry Maybe, Judy.
0: Well,
1: and counting know. last year, he
0: has. But I yeah, don't they, know he was pretty good. Say. Let me
1: let me look on here for 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 Zay Jones. I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying it's all guaranteed though. Like you right, got a hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, not a hundred percent guaranteed, but like you're not gonna cut them before the season starts. So the 2024 option you just picked up is fully guaranteed. Okay, right. um, that sounds. I, even the Zay Jones contract, like it had total guarantees of 14 million in the contract. So it's it's like it's even more guaranteed money than when you're than, than when you were signing someone in free agency. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I'm just. I'm just saying. I don't know if it's necessarily
0: worth more to have yeah. that to add that 5th year option. Sutton. It looks like they can clear space and clear about four and a half million if they cut him next year. So maybe they can't get out this year, but they could move on next year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. I
1: just don't. I just don't think it's tradable. Yeah, next year for sure. He has no guaranteed salary next year. So next yeah. year, thirteen million dollar salary, and it's. um It's all cash. Two million of it becomes guaranteed March 21st. So I'd be shocked if he made it to March on the roster till March 21st. Okay,
0: so at least we're going to be cut,
1: though. Let's face it; no one wants his contract. No one wants contract. No one wants that contract. I mean, Tim Patrick. You know, everyone loves Tim Patrick. He's probably he might be a goner after the season too. So yeah, there is a win. There is a there is a path here.
0: Yeah, but you've kind of talked me off it a, a little bit because it could be more crowded this year. It seems like they can't, and I actually looked up Patrick's contract. It looks like he can't really be cut until after yeah. the end of the year. So, so it's, <laughs> it's a bad be deals crowded. there.
1: They I mean, it's not good. It's not I remember everyone was like applauding that I mean Tim Patrick's fine, right? But you know what everyone has to think someone's the most undervalued person when they get their big contract. You know, that's one of the things that annoys me. In the okay, now this is like a totally unrelated rant that, that, that but i have my whole overrated underrated yeah okay the person is the most overrated when everyone is saying they're underrated and vice versa because no one actually thinks about it correctly like people think underrated means good and overrated means bad right, but right. that's not you know like when robert wood signed his extensions the same thing with, with with the rams and when tim patrick signed his extension both guys well, Patrick in particular was a UDFA, right? So he was like really down. But Woods was. Everyone was calling him the most undervalued, underrated receivers in the NFL. Right when they're signing big contract extensions, it's like, no, no, it's too late now. The the, the ship has sailed yeah. on on overrated on that was underrated the top. at this. Point. That was the very yeah, that top was, of his Everyone loves to call someone underrated at the top, and it really annoys me. Same thing with Patrick. Like I'm not nothing against him, but well, well, why are you throwing bags at this guy? for doing tim patricky sort of things I mean, he's fine
0: yeah no that that's uh i mean i guess we we just need to play the market right we just <laughs> you got to sell tim patrick in dynasty the men, yeah yeah of, i will love and
1: hate every individual player and team out there in the in the in the nfl at some point or another
0: let me ask you about a couple guys that don't rate particularly well in the model um zay flowers who i'm not like surprised he's not you know the model doesn't love him he's not an early declare does have the draft capital um but he's undersized um and then jonathan mingo who was also not an early declare and but he also has pretty strong draft capital not as quite as strong as Zay flowers but i've been kind of interested in both these guys particularly in best ball where you know i don't want to make like long-term career bets on them necessarily but is dudes who can like get targets as rookies, I think they're somewhat interesting. Um, I feel like I'm kind of out on a limb on Mingo. Like, I, I thought there'd be some other people that would just be like bet on the draft capital and mega athleticism, but um, no one seems to be really with me so far.
1: No, I'm with you on Mingo. I know, yeah, you like you said, he's more in this tier with guys who went in the second round or I mean, the later second round or even later than that, as far as the model is concerned, but. Yeah. 39 is pretty good. And I, I don't know what you think, but I think that, um, I think fantasy is pretty right about guys, but at the same time, there's a lot of like lingering pre-draft evaluation that goes, that just sticks on certain Mm -hmm. guys. Um, trying to think of like, uh, Remember Doriel Green Beckham, like someone like yeah, that? Like he yeah. was someone who didn't end up going until I believe they like the mid second round, but he didn't really even move over the summer in best ball drafts and other things way back in the day. He was still being drafted like the, you know, Debbie number one overall sort of guy that he, we've been waiting for for the last six years to eventually make it into the NFL. So I think it can work in the reverse too. Sometimes when guys get drafted early and they're a tiny speedster. You're just like, what? That doesn't make sense. I can agree with fading that. But when you're 220 pounds and you, you're fast and you can make explosive plays, then like that kind of seems like a profile that people
0: would be excited about rather than skeptical of. This is actually where I'm kind of like contrarianing myself. So I am with you on this type of thing because I'm like... That you're less your... excited about him? You're like, if he
1: was a third round
0: pick, I'd be in, but now... <laughs> Well, uh, no, now I've, I've, that would, that would be the next level. But, uh, I've just like, normally I'm like, you know, four year guy doesn't have the production, but then I was sort of waiting for the market to come around and be like, but we still love him because he got drafted yeah. 39th. and in kind of waiting for the market to do that, I've become that person where I'm just like, well, he got drafted 39th. You guys should be excited so that I can fade him. <laughs> I want I to be on the fade side, but like, please draft him in the seventh round so yeah. that i can fade him where he's going yeah. now i think he's if it would have been tillman gone. i think people would have gotten excited yeah but i mean tillman tillman's a fifth year he's got the same red flags but people seem to like him though i don't know i t- at least i don't know anecdotally i found like people seem to be a little bit higher on him They're spider-man meme to me i think they're they're kind of they're like the same bet but mingo has the better draft capital and better target opportunity yeah um any any of these other guys that we should uh, touch on before we get out here? Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt were two of the guys pre-draft that I think the fantasy community likes, but they took a, a bit of a hit during the draft. Um, I've been kind of tempted to just like forget about Downs because you've got a slot receiver who's going to have the quarterback who's literally the least accurate in the short area of the field like ever. That seems like the worst possible destination. I, I just have a really hard time. Look, like, what is the upside case on him? At least yeah, with yeah, Hyatt. Downs
1: downs, I don't yeah. understand at all. You got Pittman in there, is gonna suck up some targets. Um yeah, I mean, it's 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 not not good. Hyatt, I don't know what what's happening with Hyatt because he was like the guy where I mean, I like to laugh at all these guys who are like getting excited about some steal for some guard that they've watched and love. Um but at the same time, when I, even when Hyatt falls, like I still don't want to like fall on him versus where his, even though his draft position fell. Um, but I think the landing spot's pretty good.
0: I think it's good. I, do you think there's anything to the idea that the Giants aren't going to play, you know, their rookies right away? We saw it took a while for Gabe Davis and, you know, it took a while for Shakir and James Cook. Obviously it's like that those guys are literally <laughs> this is a different regime not Dave but I think it's like the lineage just feels so close um but I don't know they don't seem to be now there is a huge need for someone to step up as a playmaker on the Giants so the flip side of this would be like if Hyatt's really good who's getting in his way and and the answer to that's no one
1: yeah I mean there's just no one there and I think I, I thought more the downside was maybe people just are so low on Daniel Jones and what he could potentially do and doesn't throw the ball down the field. He had this kind of rinky dink sort of offense that they were operating Mm -hmm. last year. But, um, I think it was Josh Hermsmeyer says like a dot, the receivers control a dot. And I think that's a lot more the case than what people give credit for, uh, beyond maybe some outlier type of quarterbacks who are just pure gunslinger types. Um, I think that really generally is the case. I mean, look at like Tua. His dot went up like two yards last year, right, based upon system yep. and, and receivers and everything else that he'd gone there. And Daniel Jones, I'm not sure about dot, but I know for his like the PFF big-time throw rates, he was over 5% in 2020, and then he's just had nothing the last couple of seasons, and he didn't quite have a lot to, to work with either. So if his protection is starting to look pretty good – um, you know, less, fewer dump-offs to Saquon and all that sort of stuff. And maybe Hyatt can actually bring something to that, to that offense. Um, So I guess I'm a little bit encouraged there because even the Darius Slayton, like they try to get rid of the guy every year. Right. And then he comes back and he, and he gets like sick. They try to get rid of him
0: during every year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Sterling
1: Shepard. I I like Sterling Shepard, but he, he might be like, he legitimately might be out of the league, you know, pretty soon. Right. Um, they signed him on a one-year deal to come back. You basically have a UDFA, and Hodgkin's coming back, who's like, that's like your main dude now, I guess. Um, and then you have Wondale Robinson, who, you know, he's got like the Paris tiny little arms. He's got tiny little arms. Oh, yeah, I forgot Paris Campbell. Jameson they Crowder, in. I think they signed, didn't they? Yeah, they have like seven dudes. They're all going to play the slot at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it's like. for uh, People are definitely fading Tennessee, it seemed like. If you look at Hooker and mm-hmm, Tillman mm-hmm. and Hyatt so if, if everyone's fading Tennessee I think that is wrong most of the time I think most of the time when people try to make too big of a deal out of the system that they overcompensate when it when it coming for that so I guess maybe that would be a reason I would think that Hyatt has a better chance than some other think.
0: yeah I think I'm going to be Well, it's tough for me to tell in best. Maybe he doesn't fall that much. So you tell me if he's like, or or is he still being
1: drafted? Like he's a second round guy. I guess it's hard to tell with downs that they were next to each other in expectation going into the draft. And then they're right next to each other and same with Tillman after
0: the draft. So yeah, on underdog is his ADP is 135 right now, but it's tough because he was expected to get to go higher. And sometimes it takes guys to fall you know it takes him a while to fall so i've got him ranked like well below who's the ADP. highest guy on the giants who has the highest adp of anyone on the giants um he has got to be wandale uh well waller has the highest adp of any of the past right major, waller but, yeah that makes sense well maybe it is hyatt i guess it is hyatt now because of but i don't know that he'll settle with that yeah. um yeah 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 but no one really i mean you can stack up Uh, Daniel Jones, very, very cheaply. Hodgins has an ADP of 187. Uh, Wandale has an ADP of like 166. So Giants are easy to stack. And I think Hyatt's ADP comes down. I think I'm going to be higher on him, like relative to some of the other rankings I've seen out there, but we'll probably all be higher than the ADP because he's got a little bit to fall. But I do think he's interesting. Let me ask you one more before we get out of here, because we have this this narrative of patrick mahomes you know saying you got to draft for she rice you know that's that's tired okay we we've, we've all heard we've all digested the patrick mahomes you know CEH all over again what we we know he's not good at this but what about cj stroud is cj stroud good at this because he apparently requested tank dell so that's a little that's a little under the radar you know it's like uh it's the same narrative but we're getting a little bit of a discount on it cuz it's not patrick mahomes not as widely known if Tank Dell, go ahead. <laughs> well, if Tank Dell was handpicked by his own quarterback, and he rates pretty well in your model, he ranks uh, above Jaden Reed and Jonathan Mingo and Cedric Tillman. Is there anything here for a very undersized wide receiver? Yeah, I think it's
1: possible. I do think that they may try to uh, manufacture some touches for him. Um, I have a good Patrick Mahomes take when it comes to him being GM. Is that mm. it's positive? Maybe just having him stay satisfied and tied into the organization. Um, you know, he's taking this ridiculously low market value contract and forever. It's worth just uh setting on fire like a day two pick every year <laughs> just just to keep them happy just let them pick someone it is bust and it doesn't matter but net net you're actually better off because you're keeping them happy and maybe you save some money and this and that what do you think about that
0: i see i think you should have you should be paying a scout to basically send mahomes tape and get mahomes in the building with guys that you already like like get him to stop watching guys on his own at least, at least tee him up. But you, you – Maybe you have
1: court. to like – do you ever – I didn't watch the show. Do you know this Nathan Fielder show where he yeah. was – the rehearsal? Yeah. Okay, first of all, I watched part of one episode, and I was like, this is totally fake, right? I mean, it is, right? It's. Acting, I don't think right? so. I think it's I – I think it is. Number one. Okay. Never... <laughs> maybe you don't think it is. It's funnier if it's not. I agree. But number two, maybe they could do that type of situation with these receivers who they like. And they, like, pretend to be Patrick Mahomes. And they're like, this is what you say. This is how you, like, ingratiate yourself with them. This is how you build rapport. <laughs> he loves this. You know, And they build. They do the rehearsal for Patrick Mahomes throwing session beforehand. I want to see that. that they like. I,
0: I definitely want to see that
1: i feel like that could be that would be that would be perfect and you're like pat that's amazing choice that you made a receiver we're gonna go with it we're, we were skeptical of him but yeah after you after you put your stamp of approval let's go ahead let's go ahead and do that um, and that could be that that sounds like a good show um now i totally well, lost my train of thought here what well I, about-
0: I mean i think you're the point you're making is that Fed Romes is so undervalued yes. that he is Worth literally setting a second round pick on fire every year, but like yeah, okay. But is this is this actually quantifiable that he can actually burn that you could burn because he's because the point you're making is that he's so uh, yeah, sure. This, so just underpaid. take the
1: surplus value on the pick and just light it on fire, and it's probably worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, if Patrick Mahomes, it, maybe you don't need it because he's seen, like, I don't know why he signed this contract. Is Lee Steinberg still his agent? Because, like, obviously he has no idea what he's doing. This 10-year contract, does he think it's, like, 1984 or something? <laughs> like, who, who, who the hell signs a 10-year contract? It's, like, Bobby Bonilla or something, like, he thinks he's he's doing? This is, it's, absolute, it's absolutely insane. I remember Magic, Magic Johnson, you know, he signed a 25-year, $25 million contract, and then, like, three years into it, he wanted to kill himself because he's like, what the hell am I yeah. doing? Like this yeah. is the worst contract ever. Um, So we're, 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 I'm getting those vibes from this Mahomes contract, but yeah, no, I think it's worth it. Surplus value. Just toss it out the window. It's
0: fine. All right. Well, I think that that basically wraps up unless, unless uh it seems like you're not going to take the bait on my tank Dell. Can we, can we mix in tank Dell? Sure. Mix you in, can mix uh, in tank. I mean, it's a guy gonna who's definitely count. not going to people are not going to respect the
1: draft position necessarily as much on him. So yeah, I, mean, I think his numbers look pretty good. It's just, you're right. He's one of these really, really small guys. They're playing indoors on the, on, you know, on turf. That probably helps a little bit for him. So yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. It's like, there's not a lot of competing opportunity cost here when <laughs> we're talking about guys in some of these areas. So sure, why not? Give me, give me the case other than CJ Stroud. Well, I guess I'm just thinking like, what's gonna? Oh, CJ guys... also low, low S two score, so he like can't process, so he just throws it to Tangdell every got to single, every yeah. single play. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I mean, literally I...
0: can't see anything but Tangdell. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, Nico Collins is someone that I think kind of won uh, out of the draft, but I'm just like, who else is gonna even play for the Texans? So, and like honestly like you know tutu atwell getting out there and looking actually okay yeah why don't they play him he actually does stuff when he's out yeah, there at I one know. point he was averaging like 30 yards per target or
1: something i was like can we get the ball to this guy more often
0: i know because like he was kind of the guy I was like okay basically there's a model override and it's around you know it's definitely at 155 pounds but it probably <laughs> starts earlier you know where you're yeah, just like i yeah. don't care what it says you're too small but now i'm like i don't know maybe uh in this shanahan style offense. He could be a little fun. He's basically a name that, like, I don't think people should forget about. And, you know, the fact that I saw him here above Reed and Mingo and Tillman made me, you know, slightly interested. So and above uh, Rasheed Rice as well, uh, which is, you know, all those guys are going to go, especially Rice and, and Reed and Mingo will go well, well ahead, which they should. But um, yeah. that's why I popped in my head. Uh, yeah, but that, uh, that was a marathon pod, as promised. We did it. Um, we had... Still on yeah. the light side for you. I'm still bringing down the average. <laughs> I think I'm still bringing down the average here. The mode, well, you know, we get, we mode? got sirens. We got uh. <laughs> you're right. It was a little padded, actually, with with your. Break yeah, in yeah. Attempt. We can't
1: we can't count that. We can't count the fat there. Once you trim the fat off of here, once you trim the stuff that's not that's not worth it for the audience, it'll be like 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Nice and tight. Um, but Kevin, tell the people what you got going on at unexpected points.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned I sent out uh, wide receiver running back models. You know, I did my rankings for receivers and quarterbacks that kind of incorporate that and other stuff pre-draft. I don't know. I guess I may, maybe I'll do it again for wide receivers. I don't think anything's really changed for quarterbacks because I already had uh Levis as QB four. And then I don't think Richardson is going to fall below Stroud for me based upon this. Um, so I'm going to keep stuff there. Obviously a lot of content going into the summer, getting ready, trying to focus a little bit more on what would be betting markets when it comes to futures, best ball, that real sort of something we can really dig our teeth into over the summer. Um, also going to try to throw in, you know, at least podcast wise to have some interviews with some people that are doing analytical work in other sports. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Whether it's soccer or basketball or a bunch of other people who I listen to where I kind of want to even talk to them during the season, but, or during the lead up to the draft, but I try to focus mostly on the NFL. But I'm just fascinated with what people are doing in other areas. So I'll probably write up all of that stuff and talk about that a little bit more during
0: the during the summertime. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, sometimes, like I sometimes like want a break from like football or like I want a break from fantasy football. But then I like listen to your pod, so it's like <laughs> you know, it's like I'm getting a break from like the hardcore fantasy stuff, but it's still football. And I like the idea of you know I'm getting a break from football, but it's basically just you know another now we have best ball. now we got best ball though
1: so it's just inescapable right during the even during the summertime if people are really gonna be talking about it i don't know like i still think it's fairly niche right yeah uh
0: are you saying we're early is that what you're saying kevin (laughs) no
1: no i'm just because i'm always thinking about i think i get a very we get a very warped view like perception of how things are because we're in these like little niche sort of communities like for instance even when i was at pff you know, they had, I don't know how many, 250,000 subscribers You for, for their YouTube. And I would put out my podcast on there. And now I'm putting out podcasts on my own YouTube, which just hasn't started up for that long. And it's got, you know, 500 and something people subscribed. And like, I'm not getting that many fewer views than I was getting on this huge <laughs> thing. So even PFF, which you think is like an analytical sort of venue. It's just like most people are really just football fans and they just like a little bit more information in a certain way. So same thing with best ball. It's like most people are just season-long fantasy football people. And even if if best ball is growing a lot, it's like growing from a fraction of a percent to a higher fraction of a percent of the people who are kind of like interested in in fantasy football.
0: I agree with that. I do think that it's getting big enough to where I think like the DFS people are eventually going to like basically all be in. 'Cause I think yeah. a couple like last year it felt like there was some contingent of DFS guys who were like maybe not playing a ton of best ball. And I'm sure there still are, but it feels like more and more it's like if you're taking this, if you're thinking through fantasy like a game where you're actively trying to make money, then why are you not playing best ball at this point? I think yeah. I think we're kind of hitting that that part of the curve.
1: Yeah, yeah, I always thought the big holdup was just you don't want to tie up your money for that much time for these guys who want to turn it over so
0: often. I think that is part of it, but the the GPP style of it for me, I mean, it's not, you know, it is a, you are tying up money, but it's like at least it's, you're tying up, you know, four grand to try to win three million, you know, so yeah. it's a little now, bit. That, that's a good yeah. call.
1: Yeah, because like tying up all this money and like the MFL 10s and things like that. Yeah, I could see.
0: I could never yeah. do that. That was boring to me. I just couldn't. Yeah. Like, God, and it wasn't even about tying up the money. It was about like doing slow drafts to be like, "Oh, sick! I won 500 bucks this year."
1: <laughs> I think I actually did pretty well on one of those years, but it was more, yeah, it's more boredom, just pure boredom. Yeah, yeah doing yeah. the doing those early sort of drafts. So I got to get back into it though. I got to get back into the best ball, best ball streets. I haven't been in it
0: that, that much this year so far. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. This was this was awesome.